There's a few firsts today, so um, first is I'm using these bifocals. I've never done them before. And the reason is, you know when you get old, like, well, I, I'm old, your eyes go, and to read you need glasses. When you're looking at people, you don't need glasses, so you're constantly doing that, yeah? So I've got the bifocals. Second is, um, I've never preached in Lewisham before. First for me. Yeah, so thanks for welcoming me. Uh, really glad to be here. And uh, there was a third, I can't remember what it was. Though. Oh, I've never preached in Isaiah 5 before either. <laughs> so thanks. And thanks so much, Pastor Ephraim, that you ended it on uh, Hosea 6, verses 1 to 3. Otherwise, it would be a pretty gloomy um, sermon this morning because it is all about sin and judgment, Isaiah 5. But Hosea 6 is, is hope and restoration and revival. So that's great. So it's good to be with you. Um, I think what we're going to do, because it's sort of two sections, and we'll see how it goes. Normally when I preach, I use a calendar, not a clock. But I am going to look at the clock today, past Ephraim. So at about, at about um, 20 past, uh, so in, in about 20 minutes, we may pause for thought um, and just reflect on where we've got to, if that's okay. So let's, um, let's delve in, shall we? Hosea 5, verse 1. Hear this, you priests, pay attention, you Israelites. Listen, royal house. This judgment is against you. You've been a snare in Mizpah and a net spread out against Tabor. The rebels are knee-deep in slaughter. I will discipline all of them. I know all about Ephraim. Not this one, but the people in... Well, he knows all about you as well, to be fair. Um, <laughs> all about you. Israel is not hidden from me. Ephraim, you have now turned to prostitution. Israel is corrupt. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their hearts. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumble in their sin. Judah also stumbles with them. When they go out with their flocks and their herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. There's weight in that, isn't there? Look. (laughs) When they seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They are unfaithful to the Lord. They will give birth to illegitimate children when they celebrate their new moon feasts. He will devour their fields. Sound the trumpet in Gibeah. And the horn in Ramah. Raise the battle cry in Beth Haven. Lead on Benjamin. Ephraim will be laid waste on the day of reckoning among the tribes of Israel. I proclaim what is certain. Judah's leaders are like those who move boundary stones. I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. Ephraim is oppressed, trampled in judgment, intent on pursuing idols. I am like a moth to Ephraim, like rot to the people of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, and Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help, but he, was, he will not be able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Then I will return to my lair until they have borne their guilt and seek my face. In their misery, they 
will earnestly seek me. Chapter 6, verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Amen. Amen. Well, um, as you know, I'm Welsh. I don't know what you know about Wales, actually. Um, Not a lot. It rains a lot in Wales. (laughs) So that's why I moved, to get away from the rain. In fact, I spent most of my childhood being wet, actually. So I walked around a lot and just rained all the time. Went to bed wet, woke up wet. But um, it's good to be in dry land in Lewisham. Um, one thing about Wales, I love rugby, yeah? You've got rugby. You know that, right? So uh, when I was growing up, I, um, yeah, I wasn't a believer. So I was sort of, I got myself into a bit of trouble. I was from a sort of broken home. And... Um, you know, I won't give you my whole testimony, but I, I sort of found the Lord at 17. Uh, Billy Graham, Aston Villa Stadium. Um, first time I'd ever heard the gospel, uh, I got saved. And uh, I went, you know, as you do, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm in Aston Villa Stadium, give my life to the Lord. The next day, it's unusual, my story, the next day I went to church for the first time. Um, it was a baptismal service. Some, my, my sister had been saved already, and she said some of her friends were getting baptized. Half, well, sort of a way into the service, the pastor said, does, any, does anybody love the Lord Jesus and want to be baptized today? I stuck my hand up. I've been a believer like about nine hours. <laughs> Got saved the night before. My sister said, what are you doing? I said, well, I love Jesus. I want to get baptized. So I got baptized, and I was on a high I mean, it was amazing. My life was like totally turned around. I told everybody in work I was a Christian. They all thought I was mad. I told every single one of them. I went around and told them. Um, But, you know, I was was in the world, you know. I was not of the world, but I was in the world. So um, one of the things I was doing, I was in a rugby team. Now, if you know anything about rugby teams, they're about a lot of guys together playing a sport that's quite violent, lots of drinking, Lots of other stuff, right? And I tried to sort of navigate that uh, world, if you like, but I found myself slipping back into that culture. So I started, you know, hitting the booze. I started doing things I shouldn't have been doing. And I felt a weight, if you like, a weight of guilt upon me that I wasn't living the life I should be living. But I continued. Um, I remember we had a rugby game, and I was a few games in. I was playing well. And you look at me, I'm quite slight, okay? So I played on the wing, okay? So if you know anything about rugby, the, the wingers are normally the smallest people on the pitch. I mean, you've got some big guys in a rugby field. And I remember this game really clearly. I, I, I got the ball at one point, and I picked it up, and I ran. And I ran through about, I don't know, about five people, and I touched down. It was a try. I was elated, right? 
Everybody was cheering. We were in front, right? They were a tough team, okay? And I was there. I was loving it, okay? Absolutely loving the attention. The second half comes. I think I'm going to do more of the same. Big guy runs to, towards me. I thought, no problem. I'll take him down. I tackle the big guy. As I tackle him, he falls on my knee, Right on the side of my knee, I was screaming in agony. My, my, t- literally tears rolling down my eyes. My rugby career was over. Cruciate knee ligaments, done. I didn't do any sport for a year. Full of plaster cast, the, the full works, operation. Um, the reason I'm telling that story is because I don't know if the Lord, you know, I don't think the Lord did my knee, but I think he may have allowed my knee to be done. I look back and I think, you know, I'm glad, right? I'm glad that happened because I was heading in a direction. I felt it was the Lord's discipline. I was moving away. I was heading away. But actually, that caused me to return to the Lord. Okay, a year later, I joined a Christian organization. I was doing youth work. Um, But I don't know what would have happened if I was loving the glory. (laughs) But I was slipping into some bad things. When we look at... um, Hosea 5, some dangers to avoid when reading the passage. In fact, the whole of Hosea, uh, Pastor Ephraim, when he sent the details about this passage, said the two most difficult books in the Bible to preach on apparently are uh, Jeremiah and Hosea. (laughs) So, (laughs) So here we are. Okay, so a couple of dangers that I think as we look at certainly Hosea 5, we can sort of think, hmm. So one is, this doesn't really relate to me, okay? This is all about the people of Israel um, worshipping or getting involved with the worship of Baal, sacrificing their children. What's that going to do with me? You know, this is the modern day. That's the Old Testament. This is the New Testament. And I would challenge that, really. I was, when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, um, we didn't sing it today, but we could have, come now, fount of every blessing, that hymn, okay? It says, one of the verses says this, uh, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Hear my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We are prone to wander. Another Welsh quote. There are three times as many sheep in Wales as there are people. Do you know that? It's true. And sheep are basically dumb, okay? So they wander. They'll wander off a cliff. They'll fall into the sea. They're just a bit prone to wander. And Jesus says to us, we're like sheep. We are prone to wander. Okay, so it doesn't matter that it's the Old Testament. It doesn't matter that it's the people of Israel. We are the people of God, and I tell you, my heart is prone to wander. Okay, so it relates. Um, The second thing is, it could easily, as we read this passage, right, it could mar our image of God. Because, you know, praise God for Hosea 6, verses 1 to 3, because this is about judgment. Actually, God says, and I'll, I'll, I'll speak more about this later, but he says, I'm like a moth to you. I'm going to make you rot. I'm going to make your society rot. I'm going to make things around you rot and fall apart. He says, I'm like a lion to you. And we, we've got that image of God as a lion, don't we? And it's great. The lion of Judah. 
Okay, and it's powerful and it's strong. But in this passage, I'm like a lion. I'm going to tear you apart. I'm going to rip you apart. Tear you into pieces. Tear you as a nation into pieces. Put you into exile. And if we can focus on that, we think, wow. God is such a, you know, he's, just, he's like a, a, an old man in the sky beating down on us. Beating down on us. But I think, you know, when, when I was looking at this, Hosea, is, it says he's a prophet of mercy. And this actually story of Hosea is a story of love, the love of God and the patience and the perseverance of God because the discipline of God ultimately, and I want you to carry this away with you, is so that we will return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. And when I look back on my little example and story I gave you, I think I, I'm grateful of the mercy of God. My knee was gone. I've never played rugby since. I was 18 years of age. But I, I thank God because of the mercy of God, he drew me back in. And that's what this story is about. And that's what Isaiah 5 is all about. All these things will happen, but it's all because I love you. And I want you to come back. It's the discipline of God. It's the discipline of a father who loves his child and doesn't want his child to go off the rails. So let's, um, let's dig in a bit. So, Jose, you've done all this stuff. <laughs> I won't recap four because <laughs> I'm done four. Um, but, you know, one to three, it's about Hosea and how God calls him to, to marry the prostitute and about her unfaithfulness. And really, Hosea is living this stuff in real time. And, and he has, I think, you know, isn't, there, isn't there something when you're living something in real time that God gives you authority to speak into something? So when Hosea is speaking in or speaking to the people of Israel, he's, he's speaking as one who's living it. And God is saying, this is what my people Israel are like to me. They are unfaithful. They are acting in prostitution. But I will remain faithful to them. You know, really powerful stuff. Um, chapter 5. So he says, hear this, you priests. Pay attention, you Israelites. Listen, royal house. This judgment is against you. You've been a snare in Mizpah and a net spread out on Tabor. So Mizpah and Tabor, really he's talking about, they're talking about good times in Israel's history. Um, promises and agreements before God, victories over the Canaanites. But actually, the way the Israelites are living is marring that history. That's interesting, isn't it? So you may say to me, you know, I've got some great tales to tell you about what God's done in my life. But where are you now? Where are you now? How are you living your life now? <laughs> because actually... You know, what happened in the past doesn't really matter, does it? If you're living a, a life now that doesn't please God. So I think it's a challenge. But God is saying, you know, you've become like a snare of Mizpah and a net spread against Tabar. Proverbs 1 verse 17 says, How useful to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. So there's a sense where they're living a life which is not pleasing to God. And it's a snare to them. So what are the sins? So I'm going to break this down to three ways, by the way. Sins, consequences, and promises, okay? Sins, 
consequences and um, promises. So sins. What are the sins of the people of Israel? Well, I'm, I'm going to list a few that's listed in the passage, okay? The worship of other gods, okay? Prostitution, unfaithfulness, which are linked together. Arrogance, moving of boundary stones, which is interesting, okay? So the, the worship of other gods. Okay, I find this interesting, okay? And I find this interesting for this point, okay? Because I can't imagine that the people of Israel suddenly said, you know what? We're not going to worship God anymore. We're going to worship Baal. That didn't seem to be what was happening. They were still going to the temple. They were still celebrating the festivals. They were still, if you like, in our context, still going to church. But they'd aligned themselves with Baal. Why? Okay, so syncretism. Have you heard that word, syncretism? I've got a, a quote here. It's the combining of different beliefs and various schools of thought. Syncretism involves the merging of or assimilation of several, several original discrete traditions, especially in theology and mythology of religion, thus asserting an underlying unity and allowing them for an inclusive approach to other faiths. Okay, so I think what happened gradually, the people of Israel just accepted some of the worship of the people around them. Okay, they began to sort of think maybe for safety and security. Now, Baal was the god of fertility and, and rain and crops, okay? And it was a crop-based society. Everything was based on crops, okay? So maybe these rose thinking, you know what, what we're going to edge our bets. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to keep being the people of God and doing the festivals, but just in case... We're going to do a bit of Baal worship as well, because he's a god of fertility and of rain. Maybe, you know, we'll get a double blessing sort of thing, you know. We're edging our bets. Safety and security. Um, so I, I don't think the people of Israel maybe made a conscious decision at one point, we're not going to follow God anymore. But they drifted into the worship of Baal. And in the same way, it's easy for us to absorb the culture and the religion of the people around us without sometimes realizing it. Okay, and that, that takes some thought, okay, for us. Because we don't have these statues, do we, around us, where, um, you know, of Baal, and we think, well, we do a bit of worship of Baal. But we live in a, one of the greatest cities in the world, London, right? And you know, I think, I mean, this is my thoughts, okay, this is Gareth Jones's thoughts, okay, but I think the tallest buildings that you find around are the things we really worship, okay? And you think back to 100 years ago, what were the tallest buildings in London? All churches. St. Paul's Cathedral, you know, the, the, the spires, all that sort of stuff. What are the biggest buildings now? Banks, <laughs> Canary Wharf. They're all banks, aren't they? Insurance companies. And I think that points to what we really worship in this country now. We don't worship... God anymore, but we worship finance, materialism, and all this sort of stuff. And I think we can easily slip into that as the people of God. Where do you get your security? Now, I, I'm 55, so we get all this talk about pensions. Are you getting that talk about pensions? Look, everybody around me talks about pensions, pensions. What are you going to do when you retire? Have you put, put a nice nest egg away? Well, the answer to all those questions is no. <laughs> I've been in Christian work for 30 years. I've got no money, but, <laughs> but, 
But I, I put my security in God. Because I, I think, you know, finance, it may collapse in, you know, 10 years and maybe no pension pots will disappear. I'm sorry, I don't want to worry you. Of course, panic. Everybody can start running out the room, phoning up their pensions. No, I don't know what's going to happen. Okay, I don't know what's going to happen. Of course I don't. But I know this. The one thing that never changed is, changes is God. He will always remain the same. He will always be our security. And that will never, ever change. So the people of Israel began, in some ways, they took some small steps, I believe, initially, and began the worship of Baal. And if you read verse 2, it says, the revolters have gone into deep slaughter. Okay, this is likely a, a reference to child sacrifice. So they got so far down the line that they were involved in themselves in child sacrifice, which is abhorrent to God. Wow. So you take some small steps. And I, I, I must say, you know, in life, I don't know about you, but you can make one decision or a few decisions and it takes you on a road. And we hear that a lot, don't we? Um, I'm involved with London City Mission in Children, Youth and Schools Ministry. And um, we had a guy recently speak at an event we were doing. And he was talking that he went to Felton Prison. And he said he was amazed that 80% of the young boys he talked to were from Christian homes. Bible, he said not just nominal Christian homes, born again, believers. But they'd made decisions. And because they'd made those decisions, they ended up somewhere. Um, small decisions sometimes can lead us on a road. So the people of Israel involved themselves in the worship of Baal. I like, if, if you read Psalm 106, man, it covers a lot of this stuff. Man, I read through that and I thought, wow, this puts it all so well. So let me read it to you. Um, they did not destroy the people as the Lord had commanded them, talking about the people of Israel, but they mingled with the nations and adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to false gods. So see how far they went. They shed innocent blood and the blood of their sons and their daughters, whom they sacrificed the idols of Canaan. And the land was desecrated by their blood. They defiled themselves by what they did. By their deeds, they prostituted themselves. Therefore, the Lord was angry with his people and abhorrent to his inheritance. Okay, so if you think about it, okay, the people of God were, were called apart to worship God, to stand out and reflect the glory of God to the, the whole world. But these people had begun to worship the gods around them. They got so far down the line, they were sacrificing their children to, to Baal. And God looked at them and said, I don't see my glory in you. So when you read through Isaiah 5, you can see why God says, I'm going to back, back away from you. Because you're so, you know, you're defiling who I am and what I am. You don't reflect my glory anymore. Um, sorry, I'm only halfway through the psalm. I'm Welsh, you see, we get passionate. I can't help it. Um, Therefore, the Lord was angry with his people. We read that and, and abhorred his inheritance. He gave them into the hands of the nations and their foes ruled over them. Their enemies oppressed them and subjected them to their power. This is what Isaiah 5 was around. Many times 
he delivered them, but they were bent on rebellion. And even when, within Hosea 5, I don't know if you've noted this, he said, when you, when you went for help, you didn't, you didn't come to me for help, you went to another king for help. But he could not save you. He could not save you. So through all this, was God was saying, look to me, cry out to me, reach out to me, and I will save you. But they didn't do that. They reached out to another king. Um, many times he delivered them. They were bent and rebelling and wasted away in their sin. Yet, yet, this is six, he took note of their distress when he heard their cry. So they prostituted themselves. Uh, because they began to worship other gods. They began to delve into the culture and the practices of the people around them, and those things were not pleasing to God. He says a spirit of prostitution is in their hearts. They do, not, they do not acknowledge the Lord. Wow, they do not acknowledge the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumble in their sin. Judah, Judah also stumbles with them. When they go with their flocks and their herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. So they don't honor him in the way that they live their lives, the treatment of the people around them, the things that they're doing. Even their worship of God is tainted because outwardly their practice is somebody in their hearts. They're miles away. Wow, this is, this is a challenge, isn't it? This is a challenge for me, for you. God, help us. Prone to wander, bring me back, Lord. Um, it says there's an arrogance. Um, Israel's arrogance testifies against them. So in a way, what's, what's going on as well in the land, it, it's, it's actually doing all right. They're quite wealthy. And have you ever thought how wealth can, you know, wealth is a good thing, doing well is a good thing, but sometimes in the midst of that doing well, we can drift away from God and say, we don't need you, God. We're doing it ourselves. We're doing it ourselves. And that sort of thing's going on right now in the time of Hosea. They're doing okay. You know, they're doing okay. And that, that prosperity is drawing them away from God. They're doing the outward stuff but they're not following God's in their hearts and there's an arrogance about them. You know, we do what we want. They're not holding to God's word. Um, so arrogance is another one. Unfaithfulness. They're unfaithful to the Lord. They give birth to illegitimate children. They, when they celebrate their new moon feast, he will devour their fields. So they're doing the festivals. They're doing the, they're doing the, the Jewish stuff, but not, they're not engaging in their hearts, and there's consequences to their actions. And the last one listed here, I don't want to go, I don't know, time's running along quite fast. Uh, they're moving boundary stones. This is interesting. Uh, this is a specific accusation against Judah's leadership, is that they've become like those who move landmarks, which involves laying claim to land rightfully belonging to others. After God brought the people into Canaan, he apportioned the land in a detailed way amongst the, tr the tribes of Israel. In light of this history, this is why land grabbing is so abhorrent in God's sight. So I imagine they're sort of taken from the poor, those who are least powerful. They're extending their boundaries. You know, taking from the And, you know, I don't know about you, there's nothing riles me more than someone taking advantage of the poor and the needy. And we as the church 
should be doing the opposite. It's great what you're doing with, with um, your, your sort of food bank, what do you call it? Barley loaves, okay? I think the church needs to be lifting up the poor in our community, but it seems what's going on here is the people of Israel are, you know, lording over the poor, snatching land, and doing what is wrong in God's sight. Okay, we as the church are meant to stand up for the poor. Um, and it says, Deuteronomy 27 says, this, Cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone. And let all the people say amen. So it's about inheritance, but I think it's about the poor as well. So the, the, the consequences. There are consequences to Israel's actions. Every action has a reaction, right? Okay, so, you know, God forgives sin, amen? amen. But you know, rightly, I did it the other day. I drove down a road I shouldn't have driven down, you know. I, do you have those in Lewisham? You can't drive down at 2.30 anymore? Do you know what? I drove up it. I realized straight away I turned around. Straight away, still got me. 70 quid. Bang. Actions have consequences, okay? The Newham Council will not let me go. I could write to them and ask for mercy. They will say no. No mercy. (laughs) So anyway, every action has a reaction. They cannot fool God. Prosperity is not a sign that God is with them in this case. God's judgment is effectively discipline. You know, I'm a father of five children, okay? And you know, (laughs) anyone with kids, you know, (laughs) right? It can be tough. I watch TV shows sometimes. I was watching one last night. It's called This Is Us. Don't know anybody's seen it. It's a good show. But it's getting to the end. It's getting a bit twee now, to be honest. And everybody loves everyone and... The kids are all, you know, and I'm like, nah, it doesn't happen that way. You know what it's like? <laughs> I had a friend, actually, she had, she had seven kids. And she didn't let him talk at the dinner table at all. <laughs> they had to sit in silence. Because you know you get all them kids around the table, they're going to start arguing, right? And throwing food and making snide comments. Um, anyway, I don't know why I'm saying that. But we need to discipline our children. Okay, we need to show them the right way. And though discipline is painful, do you do the naughty step? Do you do the naughty step? Did it ever work? I don't know why I did the naughty step. <laughs> anyway, so, you know, we need to discipline our children so they know the right way to go. So God's judgment is discipline. Is his desire is that they will return to him and be purified and restored and revival will happen in their hearts. So the list of God's consequences here are, I'll go through it quickly. God will withdraw from them. There'll be oppression and judgment, discipline, wrath. And God gives these two images of a moth and a lion, which I mentioned last time. So God says, verse 6, when they go to their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. I, I find that... <laughs> That just hits my heart. God has withdrawn from them. Remember Moses saying, God saying to Moses always, I will be with you. I will be with you. Saying to Joshua, I will be with you. But now he's saying, I will withdraw from you. Wow. That's painful. I'm just feeling it now, just reading it. Because of their sin, God will withdraw himself from them. Oppression and judgment, well, 
The Assyrians will come, they will conquer, they will rip apart Israel, they will take them back um, to be slaves and captives. Um, So that will come. But it is part of all God's... I want to read Hebrews 12 verse 5 because it talks about discipline as well. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. So the love of a father disciplining his children is at work here. God will pour out his wrath. The holiness of God cannot abide this, so God is angry with them. God says, I'm like a moth to Ephraim, like a rot to the people of Judah. God's, this is God's um, response to their sin. You know, that there will be rot and decay. And when we do, don't do the right things in our nation, we see it in our nation, actually. You know, all that's going on. You know, you, you know I'm, not, I'm not calling out names, okay, politicians, but you just see it, you, know, you see leadership and the way we're being led at the moment. No integrity. No integrity before God. And you see there's like a rot in the land. We, we need leaders and people of integrity in our country. Okay? Uh, I always remember what, uh, was it Schwarzkopf who went in, they did the war in Iraq, okay, the American general. He said, I looked for two things in leadership. He said, strategy and character. If I have to choose one, I choose character. Where are the men and the women of character who will stand up? Okay, but in Israel, God sees no character. And he, he says, it's like a rot. The whole system is falling apart. And then he says, I'm like a lion, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim, with, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off and no one will rescue them. Then I will return to my lair. So God is, is allowing, if you like, and using, as he did in the Old Testament, the Babylonian Empire, the, the, Assyri- the Syrian Empire, to, to judge his people and to tear them apart. Wow, this is painful stuff, isn't it? This is painful stuff. Um, so in all that, in all that, God lands on um, chapter six. How long have I got left? Chapter six. Another, another day? Or, or I don't know how long I've been going. Can we, can we pause? I'd like to pause. I need to pause. Can we pause for a second? We're going to jump to, I want you to think about your heart. Okay, so we, we look at the people, oh, the people of Israel, oh, they're terrible. Look at them. What about us? Where have we aligned ourselves with the gods of this age? Where are we getting our security and our safety right now? Is it in God? Is it elsewhere? Let's, let's still our hearts before God. Let's just spend a moment in, I know it won't be quiet, but relative quiet. <laughs> That's okay. Um, and then just allow God to speak to us. And then we'll jump into sex. Let's do that now. One minute.
Yeah, Lord, I pray that you'd um, help us, Lord, as we, um, you say in your word, to examine ourselves. And uh, we do examine ourselves, Lord. And forgive us where we have so easily adopted the, the culture and the religion of the day around us, Lord God. I know I'm guilty of that sometimes. And I look for safety and security in the wrong places. Lord, we see uh, where that led the people of Israel, Lord. And uh, Lord, we, we want this to be a day where we return to you. We want this to be a day where we know you uh, in, fully in our hearts and, and to be restored, Lord. And for those who are, you know, I imagine for those, and for all of us, Lord, when we drift away from you, uh, Lord, we, we need healing and restoration. So we pray for that too, Lord. Pray that you'd uh, meet with us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to dip into, we're, ju- we're just going to land here, okay? So there's been a lot of sin, a lot of judgment. Um, we know the purpose for it, that God is disciplining his people. Um, and in chapter 6, I'll read it again, it's brilliant verses. Come, let us return to the Lord. Despite all the Israelites have done, despite, you know, we look at ourselves, the Lord says, return to me. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. Amazing. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us. That rings out, and at the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him in all that we do, in all that we say. That's me, not the Bible, by the way. And let's acknowledge him. As surely, as surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. So God's ultimate purpose and promise. God will tear down and strike down his people, but rather than driving them further away from him, the the punishment will bring healing and restoration and bring them into a right knowledge of God. And we see that in, uh, in in these verses. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up that we may live before him. Um, and we can see the echoes, we see this echo, don't we? You know, Jonah in the whale for three days, and we know Jesus references that. Jesus, risen from the dead on the third day, hallelujah. Bringing restoration and healing, ultimate healing, knowing that there's hope and there's promise for all these wandering hearts that we may return to him and know revival in our hearts. You know, I'm from, you know, Wales is called the land of revivals. You know that. I've, I don't know why I've referenced Wales so much today. I don't know why. I'm not really passionately Welsh. I just, for some reason, I'm talking about Welsh, Wales a lot. But Wales is known as the land of revivals. But I, I was thinking, I was, I was riding in today on my bike, and I was thinking, Lord, revive my heart. Because, you know, revival's not out there, is it? Oh, Lord, bring revival. Where's it going to happen in the park, in the street? No, it'll happen in here. Revival is about the church. It's about us. God, revive this heart. I want to be passionate for God. I want to acknowledge him. And when I'm thinking about acknowledgement, it's about, yes, in what we do, but witnessing. Let's share the love of God with people. You know, sometimes I I just think there was a survey done, right, of uh, evangelical Christians in in the uh, States. And uh, basically, the... 
the older end of the age of the people they um, interviewed were like, you know, we, yeah, Jesus is the only way and we want to witness, uh, you know, about who Jesus is and tell people. And then the lower it got down the scale, 30-year-olds, a lot of them said, well, we, we don't want to proselytize, we don't want to upset people. Oh, yeah, if people have got their own faith, that's fine. There's only one way to heaven. You know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, it's just, just him. There's only one way to the Father. But yet, you know, sometimes we can get absorbed again with the culture of the day. So I don't want to upset anybody. Let, let me say that. I'm, on, I'm online, so I'll say it anyway. Jesus, <laughs> Muslims need Jesus. I, work, I've worked, I live in New Woman, okay? All, virtually all my neighbors are Muslim, right? They need Jesus. Hindus need Jesus. Sikhs need Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Let's acknowledge him. Let's, let's know this personal revival that God is speaking about here. Jesus says this, Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, these are the words I spoke to you while I was with you. So Jesus is raised from the dead, hallelujah. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, <clears throat> Hosea, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, that the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are my witnesses to these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. You can tell I'm a Welsh Pentecostal. Okay, power from on high. We need that. We need the power of God. But, you know, here it is, okay? Hope and restoration. God will bring the people of Israel back. But let's pray that God will draw us and his church back and we will know his restoration and revival. That we will acknowledge him in the workplace, on the estates, on the streets, in the cafes, in the schools, that people will see us and see the glory of God. This is, this is his purpose. It was his purpose for the people of Israel, that people would look upon them and think, wow, is that what God's like? I want to be a part of it. That's what we want to see. So let's pray that for our lives and for the lives of the people of Lewisham and beyond, wherever you're from, and Newham. Praise God for Newham too. Um, so God is ultimately compassionate. Okay, and I love this. I always say this. You know, when we look at God's creation order, morning always follows night. Morning always follows night. So you know, we know Jesus is coming back again. Hallelujah. Ultimate justice will be done. Restoration will be done. And uh, we, we rely on the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus. So let's, let's just bring this to a close now. I've been rattling on for far too long. Um, let's spend a moment just returning to the Lord. Let's pray together. Let's allow God to um, search our hearts. But bring Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.